welcome to episode 28 of the Paul Norton podcast. Now, today's podcast, I'm joined by a very special guest. Today, I'm joined by Catherine O'Keefe, who is the owner of Wellness Warrior. Now, Catherine is an expert in all things from perimenopause to menopause to postmenopause and just general female health. Now, this is something that I've been really looking forward to because there's not enough information out there for females. And no matter what age you are, you know, this is going to benefit you for now or even for when you're older. It can also benefit whether your mum or your friends are going through a similar situation. It helps you understand more. And I know for me, I didn't understand my mum when she was going through the exact same. And if I did, probably could have helped her a bit better. So as always, just make sure you do share these podcasts because, you know, by you sharing this podcast, someone else will see that and that could help someone's life, could save someone's life, could improve someone's life. But hope you enjoy this podcast and take care. I guess, uh, Catherine, first of all, thanks for coming on. It's amazing to have you here. But no problem. rather me explain who you are, um, be great to tell us who you are. <laughs> um, so yeah, my, my name is Catherine O'Keefe. I'm commonly referred to as the wellness warrior. Um, so basically, I guess my main um, aspect of my work is menopause, perimenopause. So I kind of, it's a, it's a real passion of mine. So I work a lot with women kind of one-to-one through their menopause, but then also um, with workplaces as well just kind of introducing and helping people understand what menopause is all about um, so my background is I was in investment banking for over 20 years and in the latter ends of it I went back to college and I studied complementary medicine and um, it was kind of then when I went through my own perimenopause myself I kind of realized you know it's an area that uh, women really really are scrambling for knowledge and um I just kind of found huge gaps that existed. Um, so basically my mission for the last number of years has been really just trying to get as much education out there as I can. And, you know, so it's kind of just help women really understand what's going on in their bodies. I guess it's going to sound like a really silly question, but what is, what is perimenopause and what is menopause? <laughs> yeah, no, never a silly question, Paul, right? <laughs> um, um, so that's it, like it's so because that is such a good question because so many people actually don't really understand what it's all about. To me, it's all about perimenopause because perimenopause are all those years leading up to the menopause where you have all the symptoms start to come in. Um, and generally it starts at around the age of 45, although I have to say I'm seeing women starting younger, probably about 43, 44, where kind of the anxiety and so creeps in. Um, menopause itself is the anniversary of 12 months without a period. So it's literally like a birthday, it's 12 months with no period. That is that is menopause. Then it can happen that, you know, in a in 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 the space of one to two years, you might have one or two more periods, you might never have another one. And then once that one, two year period is over, it's postmenopause. And postmenopause isn't a chapter. Postmenopause is the rest of your life, really. Um so you can see why like the average age of menopause is around 51. 
Um, so you can see why it's all about perimenopause because there's so many more years leading up to the, the menopause years. So um, to me, it's really important to understand the perimenopause aspects and understand the symptoms that can happen at that stage because uh, more often than not, you know, women will say in hindsight, oh God, I wish I'd known that, you know, because I never realized that was perimenopause. Yes, how important is perimenopause? Because I suppose, again, it's uh, with, with my clients, I'm really big on like in the future. So it's not really about having a quick fix now. It's about like having, I want to help females be good in their own skin for like years down mm. the line. Mm. So how important, yeah. how important is what like we do now, whether you're, you know, 18, 24, 30, leading up into perimenopause years? Um, it's so important because, and particularly, I think, in your 30s, because obviously, depending on your priorities, you know, if you're looking to have a family and so forth, your priorities in your 30s may be quite different. But I really kind of think once you get to your mid, late 30s, if that, you know, if fertility isn't something you're looking at, then it's this it's really important to start thinking about prepping yourself for perimenopause and definitely once you hit 40 definitely because ideally you want to make sure when you go into perimenopause that you know you're in a good place that you're you know enough about it you're psychologically in a good place that you understand what's going to happen and you know that you have a good handle on your weight that you know you haven't let it um, uh, creep up on you too much because we know once you kind of hit 45 and once all the hormonal shift starts it is more difficult to um, lose weight than it might have been, say, when you're in your 20s or 30s. Um, and I, so I think it's really important to start the preparation for the journey as soon as you can, really. And the other thing we do need to think about, and Paul, this is something I'm doing a lot of work on at the moment, is that when we're in per menopause or perimenopause, most women are focused on, okay, the symptom, let me solve the symptom. But I'm actually saying now, yes, solve the symptom, but future-proof your body. And I, I think we spoke about this just before you recorded, is in terms of um, you're not just thinking about these years. You have to think about when you're 60, 70, 80, 90. You know, how are my bones going to be? How's my heart going to be? How's my mental health going to be? My brain function. So I think future-proofing is a huge part of the 40s and 50s that we're really kind of laying down good foundations to make sure that we are because we're living longer you know we want to make sure that we're living vibrant and that we're living in a healthy way i think that's really really important as well what is the biggest change is what happens in perimenopause because i've as i've got some female clients who are going through perimenopause and some are completely fine but then i've got others who have all the they've got the hot flush they've got everything so how is, yeah so <laughs> yeah. how how is it so different i, I every single woman will experience menopause differently because we're different. Each, every single human is unique. Um, no, you know, we know the menopause journeys are going to be different for everyone, from your sister, your mother, you know, your cousin, your best friend, whatever. It'll be a different experience. Yes, you might have some crossovers, 
but it's going to be different because you are unique and you know that's that's part of it but one of the things that when we start looking at the symptoms like there's such an um a huge amount of symptoms there i mean i think there's nearly close to 40 if not over 40 that have been um identified at this point in time so you know and it, it's not that you're going to get all of 40 symptoms but you might get a mix of them at different stages throughout the journey. So say, for example, for me, when I started at, I'm 50 now, so I started perimenopause at 44. And for me, the start of it was really just, um, I did have flooding episodes where your period comes on really, really quickly. Um, and that happened to me two or three times um, until I kind of I did acupuncture and I got a handle on it. But the other thing that I noticed was the shift on the emotional realm. Uh, and this is very common where you start to see a change in how you are psychologically. And that can be that um, you're just maybe just not feeling as confident as you did before. Maybe your, your self-esteem has taken a little bit of a dip. Um, you know, it can impact it. Maybe you're feeling a little bit quieter, more introverted in yourself. There's different ways that that can all start to happen. But I would find with the majority of women, it tends to be on the psychological aspects that the symptoms come first. And I'd also say, you know, don't wait for your your um, your periods to change, because often they can you can they can be as not regular as anything for four or five years and there can be loads of other stuff going on like the hot flushes the night sweats the vaginal dryness other things can be going on and the, the periods may still be fine um so it's really just kind of trying to understand what all the symptoms are and then kind of how you can tweak and look after yourself through the the different stages of it because the other thing would be that if you look at it, the average length of perimenopause to menopause is, you know, four to 12 years. So if you're thinking about it, you're going to experience different symptoms throughout that period. That's crazy. There's again, it was said, <laughs> I think we said before, like there's just, there's just not enough research on everything to do with females, but mm, especially, mm. especially like perimenopause and menopause. And I guess leading into the, I'm not sure what your, much of it you like hrt that's probably something that i've been just looking into and again it's crazy that the research into it it's just it's just not really standalone yeah i mean the, the hrt is a is there it's a huge part of the picture and for 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 many women it really is a godsend uh you know where they where they really need it and their personal medical history allows them to have it and um, the key really is understanding the different forms of hrt and what ones pose a risk say more than the others so we know like transdermal hrt which is going through the skin wouldn't have the same risks as um oral hrt but even within that it's just understanding you know what what hrt you, you may be taking and just understanding how it's going to work with the body um i think with like uh, what was it 15 20 years ago when the women's health um, initiative study was done on hrt there's definitely been found to be a lot of basic flaws within that study. Yeah. And I think that's been well proven, but certainly there is ongoing research into the impact on the bones and on the heart, but a lot more needs to be done. Like Dr. Lisa Moscone in New York is leading cutting edge research in relation to 
um, the impact on our brains um, and particularly in relation to dementia and Alzheimer's because we know women are more prone to dementia and Alzheimer's than men are. Um, so she's leading cutting edge research on that. But, but like that, you know, there's, there's a way to go yet in terms of really understanding everything that happens within the body. And the other thing, Paul, is that like the ovaries are our main production of um, estrogen. So when the ovaries stop, you know, we do have the adrenal glands that will produce a small amount of um, estrogen as well. But the problem I find with the majority of women is that our adrenal glands are um, pushed to the max in today's world because we've so many different stressors, I mean, technological, psychological, environmental, et cetera. But that means the adrenal glands are producing the stress hormones, the adrenaline, the cortisol, et cetera. So they're not thinking about the reproductive hormones because in a stress situation, you don't think about producing, you know. Yes. Um, so whilst our adrenal glands should kick in and should replace the ovaries, the problem is where you've got a lot of stress, that doesn't happen. And I think that's why I always say stress is one of the biggest triggers for so many of um, the symptoms of menopause. When it comes back to the ovaries, let's just say if you had a female who's been on the pills, you know, since she was 15, what happens then when she comes off the pill, let's say at to 30 years of age, does that have any effect on perimenopause or is there any studies around that? Well, I think what you've got to, to the first thing with the pill is that it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's um, creating turmoil in relation to the normal functioning of your hormones within your body so that's one thing that I think it's very important to understand that and I would say in, in years to come yet there will be studies about the pill fertility all of that I think that will we'll see more on that um, I think in it down the line but you've got to understand once you stop the pill your body really has to understand okay oh actually I'm meant to produce hormones now I'm not to stop them because the pill was telling me to stop them so your body, that, and for some women, it can kick back in really quick. For others, it may not. For others, it might take longer. Um, so I think there's that whole transition, particularly in the 30s, then if you're going down the fertility um, route, it's really important to kind of give yourself the time to understand that it's going to take several months for your body to really get back into full production mode as it, as it should be. Um, now, in relation to um, to menopause, um, like there's there's no concrete research that would basically say, you know, the pill might trigger early menopause or it might trigger, you know, menopause to occur early, be it one of, you know, say a form of menopause, say premature ovarian insufficiency. There's certainly no link there or there hasn't been any um, studies done on that. But I think, I think, you you it's really the the really important part is the body needs to be able to function on its own to produce um the hormones it needs so say for example if you are um on eltroxin which is say for thyroid um if you've hypothyroidism if you're giving your body every day you know say 100 grams 150 50 whatever it is of um eltroxin your body realizes it's getting it in and it doesn't need to produce as much. So it stops the production within a certain range and it doesn't produce as much as maybe it could. You, you, you don't know. 
so it's all about like the body trying to get back to its natural rhythm of what it should be producing. And like, if you think if you do come off the pill in your thirties and maybe then you're having kids and so forth, or if not, then you certainly need ideally to be giving your body some space between perimenopause starting in your forties. Um, you know, and, and often too, you'll find sometimes the pill is actually used for perimenopause symptoms as well. Um, and, you know, that's, there's, you know, on, there's a lot of debate around that as well. You know, in, in some situations, I think it certainly can help. Um, and it may be more uh, successful for some women compared to say HRT. But again, again, it's like, it's not one size fits all at all. So it really just kind of, it really depends. Yeah, I've got some clients who have done HRT. I've got some who have gone to pill. So again, it kind of varies. Yeah. Everyone has different things. When it comes yeah. to perimenopause, what, especially when it comes to weight loss and fat loss, what's the biggest things around perimenopause when it comes to weight loss and fat loss? Um, well, I think you're. it becomes a bit of a, a catch-22 in terms of energy is a big thing. So, you know, the tiredness that comes in with the hormonal decline and off the back of that, um, if, if you're kind of, if you're not pulling all your resources together and keeping on top of it, the tiredness can be really tough. And that tiredness can mean that, you know, you may not be exercising, can also mean that maybe you're not making the right food choices. And plus, you know, um, the metabolism is changing. So it becomes a combination of all of those factors that then basically can just result in us um, being more prone to easily to 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 kind of carrying more weight than we would have done before and it's it's not i don't think it's one thing i think it's a combination of them of them all together um like you know i would even say for myself i'm 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 a runner so i would run three to four times a week you know i'm sure if i wasn't doing that i wouldn't be as um you know i i wouldn't my weight wouldn't be managed as well as it, as it is so it's i think it's just kind of having you know, having your exercise um, routines in there, it's, you know, knowing the foods that are beneficial at this time and it's kind of understanding the hormonal changes that are happening and kind of working with your body um, through that, I think are just really, really important. What happens um, What happens in perimenopause and menopause with just say insulin? Is there any difference in how your body breaks down like carbohydrates through perimenopause? Yeah, well, I mean, that's definitely, that definitely goes through its own, <laughs> again, more ter turmoil um, uh, when you're in the, the kind of the, the perimenopause years. And you'll often, I'm sure you've come across this, Paul, you'll often see, um, you know, women who are diagnosed type 2 diabetes and so forth when they're kind of certainly I would say they're they're mid to late 40s and you know you have again it's the changes that are happening within the body and particularly with the hormones with the metabolism that basically means you know we're going to our, our, our bodies are just going to react differently. And I think that is where, again, we need to be so prepared and so ready for um, 
you know, knowing what's going to happen and, and really making sure that, you know, we are really looking after ourselves. Like, you know, as I said, you know, the exercise, the food, watching things, watching our blood sugar levels is so important. And another thing just to, you know, on that is like we know when the blood sugar levels are unstable, you know, you're going to crave things more. You're going to crave the chocolates. You're going to crave the crisps and they're, they're a quick fix. And then you lead to the slumps and then you're into the lower moods. And it just, it's that vicious circle again. Whereas if you actually can come at it from a more empowering um, point of view where you can actually say, right, okay, I know this is going to happen, you know, so be prepared, you know, you know, yes. have have all your 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 steps in place um, before it gets out of control. And I've talked to a lot of women who basically, they'll say to me, you know, I've got, you know, the, the what I call the ostrich approach, you know, they've their head in the sand. I'm kind of like it's going to backfire because it will come back on you in some shape or form if you ignore what's going on. That's so true. That's exactly what I do with my um, female, my girls, is that I have them just like on a Sunday, they'll, they'll prepare their meals. So they'll have the apples or they might have the protein bars and things and just trigger foods because you're, you're, you're going to yeah. get triggered. So as soon as they trigger yeah, so I have them <laughs> I like that, trigger foods. Go to their fridge. So when, they, when their cravings, sugars do drop, they can go to the fridge and they're already prepared. I think the biggest yeah. thing is that it's what happens is that when you get them them sugar dips, you just get confused. You go to the press and you just have the best thing yeah. there. And yeah, obviously, yeah. like a packet of you know Mars bars, it's not going to benefit you in the long run, especially for nutrition wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And plus, it's not, it's it'll do nothing for the moods. And I think that's, a, you know, that's a big part of it in terms of the slumps that you can experience, you know, so I must get a recipe off for those trigger bars off you. That'd be a good one to my uh, followers would like that. Just handy, like just like, if yeah, you, like I think it's one girl this week and just got her to have some oranges, you know, because you got some fruit joss, some apple slice and bananas and just like some protein yeah. bars and just have them in the fridge and that's like such a mm. good it's an easy mix because it's nice and then at least it's just trigger foods and same yeah. same with females going through um their menstrual cycle like in that week four i try getting to have trigger foods too because your your, your cravings are going to slump yeah 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 but and then what happens sorry then but what you often find kind of in the perimenopause years in that fourth week is when you might get before a period is due you might get one or two night sweats and you know which might impact your sleep and then of course your food choices the next day just aren't going to be as good when you're tired and stuff so that's actually my next question when it when it comes to so let's say you're 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 you've, you're you're hitting 40 or 45 what are the first signs of perimenopause and what should you look out for and do um, I, I think the psychological is the one to be aware of. Look for kind of changes in your mood, in your how you're feeling. You know, are you feeling as sociable as you used to feel? Because social anxiety is quite prominent in, in menopause. Um, I think it's really checking in with your emotions. Um, you know, do you feel... You maybe not feel as confident, you know, be it at home, at work, or whatever. That's definitely the first place. And um, I think then you start to get into the more physical aspects. And um, you know, that can be like, you know, migraines, headaches, um, you know, the weight changes, breast tenderness, a return kind of a PMT symptoms that you may not have had for years. It can be very common. And um, skin changes. 
you know, where maybe your skin is drier and uh, your hair might start to become thinner. Um, you know, there's a whole host. Brain fog is another big one and very, very common. Um, you know, insomnia is common. I mean, there's there's a whole range of symptoms. But I always say, you know, don't wait for the period changing to be the first thing to warn you. It's really looking at the psychological aspects and once you know actually look these are all the symptoms then when you start to see something changing you go all oh, right okay this is me i could be starting perimenopause and um, because as i said earlier more often than not women won't actually realize oh god that that is perimenopause that's what's happening and paul the other thing is there's a great freaking relief when you actually realize you know that it is your hormones you're not going nuts it's your hormones, you know, because how many women go to the fridge and they haven't a clue why they went there or they go to the press or the keys get lost and whatever. That's brain fog. You know, that's memory. That's the concentration side of it. Um, another big one would be libido, where, you know, loss of libido is really, really common, you know, where just, you know, it just changes and that can again, you know, happen at any stage of the journey. Um, but, you know, there's there's there is a lot of symptoms. <laughs> The you know, but you won't get them all. You won't get them all. You're lucky. You won't get any of them. <laughs> no, no. Labibo, Labibo is actually, it's a big, it's a, one of my favorite words. And that's one of my big thing is like, it's, it's a sex drive hormone. And yeah, like a yeah. lot of, a lot of people like, um, like I'm really big on with females and fat loss and weight loss, but that's probably the biggest one to improve. And it's libido yeah. is not libido is not just sex drive, like it's just it's energy. It's like your it it's is, it is it's your va va boom, it's your kind of your zest for life. And I mean that's where I was saying earlier about the tiredness, you know. I think that's the killer. I think that's you know, um that's really, really difficult. And I mean, we're only we're talking for the most part here about natural menopause, but you know, you've you have all of those symptoms plus more, and I would say would increase severity if it's early menopause, and that's like if it's cancer-induced, either treatment or surgical, or if it's premature ovarian insufficiency, which can happen young girls from the age of 13, 14 upwards. You know, that's a very diff that's a very different kettle of fish. Mm. You know, can you imagine having those issues? Um you know, when you're a lot younger, like it's a, that's a really tough journey. I, 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 cause I always do say, you know, when I'm doing public talks, if you think natural menopause is hard, you know, early menopause is much, much harder. It really is. There's always somebody out there that's worse, isn't it? It's a good, yeah. Yeah. It's a great, yeah. Matter, big time. No matter how bad you have yeah. it, there's always somewhere yeah. out there worse. It's humbling. I, well, I think I often, you know, cause I, you know, hear a lot of stories and, um, from different women and you know it's it's it really is is humbling when you know I, I I know I'm blessed I've got my own tools that I can kind of navigate myself but um you know for some women it's a much more difficult journey you know and the other side of it is I, I know we're, we are talking primarily about women here but but let's be let's face it it impacts the whole family because it impacts partners it impacts kids you know in terms of um, you know what a woman is going through and I think that's a really important aspect too of the whole thing and particularly with libido it's um it can be it's very important to talk to your partner about it because um the longer it goes on the more difficult it is to talk about it and then like in fairness like your partner might have a clue really mightn't understand what's going on at all if you don't actually explain it you know fortunately yeah that's 
unfortunately, even males, like this, there's, there should be more um, information and education for yeah, males and yeah, females. Yeah, yeah. As I was saying before, I'm learning so much about female bodies every single day, and it just baffles me. And it's just stuff that it's just stuff that males, unfortunately, there should be more education on males because it's not it's not just up to females to be able to tell their partner. Like I remember back in school, there was no mention of a female's yeah. body to me. Yeah. Was, and it should yeah. be, it should be, it should be split the two, like the males and females We're, should be able to know what's yeah. going on. I'm trying to get it. I want to get it on the curriculum here in Ireland. I want to get it on the secondary school curriculum. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I'm trying. I, I'm trying big time um, with ministers to try and get that conversation to happen because it's a no brainer. Like, look, we've all sat in classes and they've talked about different things and it goes over your head. Mm. But at least you would remember, at least you'd have some recollection. Oh, yeah, I remember that word at least. Or you conversely could be sitting in that class. And you could think, Jesus, maybe maybe that's what's wrong with my mother. Maybe it isn't me. Maybe she's in menopause. Do you know, wouldn't that be a great support to, to a child? Like, to me, it's a no-brainer. Just so basic. I really, yeah, I really do hope that that will happen. So fingers crossed. Yeah, <laughs> they've got it in the UK, actually. Um, sorry, Paul. They've got it in the UK. Um, it's now in um, education in the UK. So I'm kind of hoping we will follow suit here. That's amazing if it if it it is definitely be so helpful, wouldn't it? Because my mum went yeah. through yeah. my mum went through perimenopause too. And like it was just like for me, like it was just as you said, I didn't know what was going on. You know, she yeah. just she was just a different person. And I had no idea, and it's and either probably my dad either. But again, my mum probably didn't even know herself what was going on. So not yeah. alone, be able yeah. to explain it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She probably just thought it was kind of getting older you know, a bit of stress, raising a family and so forth. It's like, and, and, and menopause, if you, if you don't have someone to talk to about or someone to share it with, it can be lonely. It can, because the symptoms, if you're sitting with some of these symptoms, wondering what in God's name is going on with me, that is scary. And it can be lonely as well. And, you know, that's why I always say it is really important to kind of talk to someone that you trust about what you're experiencing. What's the transition between perimenopause and menopause when it comes to libido? What happens with your libido as you get older? Is it, does it stay there? Does it go away? You just, I think it is, is, it's again, you're going back to, you're going back to the hormones and kind of the merry dance that they're doing. And for some women, for some women, the testosterone decline isn't as bad as it is for others. And um, it really depends, but it's one area that, it does take work as in you do have to you do have to put work into your relationships you do have to kind of you have to get that energy back to actually feel um like that you know feel that you have a desire for sex for once for one thing and that's and that also remember with women it doesn't start the minute you close the bedroom door. It, it nearly starts, I often say it's a week before, you know, because particularly as you get older, it's not as quick for women as it may be for men, you know. And I think that's really, really important to understand. And, under, and, and also it is understanding, you know, the health of your pelvic organs because the, the pelvis, all that area is very estrogen dependent. So it's going to be impacted by the decline in the hormones. So it's really understanding, you know, um, um, how things are, you know, are you experiencing vaginal dryness, which is uh, vaginal atrophy? And that's very, very common. And if you are, 
that's going to make um that is really going to impact your libido because you're going to have more fear than anything because if it's painful so you really kind of have to get a handle on the physical aspects of it and then the mental aspects of it too you know it's a big uh, one it's a real big one libido and how does brain fog come into perimenopause what happens with oh with god brain fog <laughs> yeah i mean that's a <clears throat> that's really you know um every woman every woman experiences the brain fog at some stage and it can be as simple as forgetting where the keys are or, you know i was talking to a woman a few weeks ago she told me she put carrots in the tumbler dryer i thought that was a novel one and <laughs> um, but you know different things like that will happen or it can be you know like you're at work you're in a meeting or something and you just forget things that before would have just come to you really quickly and then all of a sudden you're totally blank completely blank you forget things or you're introduced to someone and two two seconds later you haven't a clue what their name was um you know so there's a lot there you know that can happen and i think you know around that it's really important that we're keeping our bodies really well hydrated is really important water is is really important because we know if you're even two percent um dehydrated it impacts your memory and your brain function so it's really really important that um we keep the hydration that we're eating properly we've got omega-3s which are you know going to benefit not just you know our whole body but particularly our brains so again it's back to you know having those trigger foods having those good foods you know in your in your arsenal that you can literally pick on when you need to, you know, um, because the brain fog is, is, is definitely very real for, I think all women at some stages. I suppose then resistant training I've got, I'm big with my female, especially to, to always be lifting weights. And what is that? What's your experience with lifting weights like for bone density as you get older? Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's, I mean, weight, like, you know, you know, even better than me, how the importance of weight bearing exercises when it comes to our bones um, you know, and uh, like, and that's kind of from the forties upwards, because we know our, our bones will change as we get older. So the more exercise movements uh, we can give to our bones, the better for as long as we can. Um, and, you know, I think the one thing I, cause I've come across this a lot, you know, um, particularly in Ireland would be you know women will join up a gym they will go and they'll start lifting weights on their own I'm kind of like no 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 don't do that because sometimes they can end up lifting weights that are too heavy for them they can end up then damaging themselves I think it's really important like that you have an exercise protocol in place like with someone like yourself Paul or you know someone in the gym that you actually you've got a plan and you're working very much on a tailored plan of kind of increasing the weights and so forth. But, um, you know, I think weight lifting weights, weight bearing exercises, um, you know, I think are really important as well. And, um, just realizing again, like I said earlier, looking after our bones now is keeping us for when you're 80 and 90. And if you do have a slip, you know, less fractures and so forth, it's so, so important. I have this analogy is that like, you know, when we're younger, we're, we're 20, 25, we, we get a mortgage and, you know, that mortgage we have to pay off until we're 60, 70, you know, but when, it, you know, when we, when we get a mortgage, you know, you have your mortgage broker and he maps out the next 50 years, how you're going to pay off this mortgage. But when it comes to health and fitness, it seems that we don't see the same approach. And I'm really big on that. Like when I take on someone that we have to look at, we're not doing it for now. We're looking at like, you know, 50 years down the line. Because yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
because my grandparents are, you know, they're 79 now and they're not in great shape and there's no reason for, if they were to have the education when they were younger to lift weights and have better nutrition, they'd be mm. probably twice the people they are now. Yeah, yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Isn't it like, I, I? it'll be very interesting to see, kind of say, you know, like your generation, say my kids, my youngest is um, nearly nine, my eldest is 14. It'll be very interesting to see their longevity and kind of, you know, how their whole mindset changes because like that, it's around the education of knowing that you are looking after yourself, not for now or next week, it's for 20, 30 years down the line. And even, I even think that even lately, things, there's been a massive um, spike in a lot of females I speak to are not drinking as much and they're doing a lot more meditation and even oh, like good. a lot. Oh, that's a lot, great. A lot of females are even like not taking the pill because there's just a lot more, you know, there's a bit more yeah. education. And that's that to me is, is so good that mm. people are doing them small stuff. How does yeah. alcohol affect you when you're older? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There are two things we have to talk about. We have to talk about alcohol and we have to talk about caffeine. Alcohol. Oh, it's such a trigger, such an, a trigger in menopause for so many symptoms, for anxiety, for insomnia, for hot flushes, for night sweats. I mean, for weight gain. I mean, it's so many, so many symptoms. And, you know, a lot of women will say to me, oh, I'll have a glass of wine. And, you know, I, have, I fall asleep. I have a great sleep. And I'm like, but did you wake up? And they're like, oh, yeah, I woke up a few times. And I'm like, you woke up, you didn't have a great sleep. And I always explain. So our livers are doing a huge amount of work every day. And I think they're the most underrated organs in our bodies. And when it comes to menopause and perimenopause, they're even doing more work because they're filtering out all of these toxins, all of these excess hormones that we don't want, that we don't need in our body. So the liver is very busy. It's working, working away. Then then you come along and you put in some alcohol in there and maybe you put in a bit of caffeine. Well, I'm telling you, your liver gets mightily hacked off. <laughs> and I always kind of say, you know, when your liver wakes, when you wake up at two, three in the morning, it's because your liver is seriously hacked off with you. And it's kind of like saying, right, you gave me way too much work to do. And so, yes, I fell asleep quickly because, you know, you're exhausted and you're lulled by the alcohol, but you won't have the same quality sleep. You will never have the same quality sleep from alcohol than you will from a night without alcohol. That is a fact. And, um, you know, so, you know, it, it, you have to think about it, not just from the perspective of um, even the symptoms, it's the impact on your liver as well. And it's really, it is not our friend um, in these years at all. Yeah, and sorry. Caf ca <laughs> caffeine. Well, that's I, like I'm. I don't drink. God, like drink is not to me. Like people do do what to do, but to me, I'm probably. Yeah. I I see more. I think I was on the podcast with Thomas Fusco. Um, so were you were thinking, you know, there's more. There's more drawbacks to alcohol than benefits, and that's what I'm yeah. seeing. Like it's yeah. the more you the more you study more about your body and your sleep, it's alcohol. Just it doesn't doesn't run well with it really. No, it doesn't. Our, our bodies, like, you know, it is nice, you know, to have the glass of wine or, you know, have the odd drink, obviously, with your friends and so forth. But I think when you understand how you'll feel the next day, I mean, you need to be prepared for writing off a day. And I have to say, for me now, 
I, I, I'm, I don't have time for that. I just don't have time in terms of there's too many things I want to do. You know, mm. I'd much prefer to be hiking up the mountains or being down in the park with the kids or something than being curled up on the couch because I'm hungover. You know, I, I but I, I look, I do understand we all have a drink at different yeah. points in time. I think it's just understanding the moderation and the impact and how it impacts on, in on your symptoms. And when it comes to caffeine, you know, caffeine is pretty much the same. Like, and as we get older, we definitely become more sensitive to caffeine and alcohol. And, you know, um, I, I'm sure you've heard Tom Coleman talk about caffeine in relation mm. to sleep. But it's not even just sleep, uh, Paul, it's anxiety as well. It heightens anxiety. It's sending your cortisol levels up when in menopause for many women, the cortisol levels are already up. And what you want to be doing is you want to be getting flat. You know, you want to be getting a grounded um, uh, kind of sense within your body that your body isn't always spiraling on excess cortisol because it's a huge one in menopause. What would be your advice then for nutrition wise, like especially what's the difference in nutrition in perimenopause and menopause? Is there any difference in how you No, there's no, no. I, well, I wouldn't see any difference at all. I think you're really coming back to having good food habits. And I think for me, for me, I think breakfast should be one of the most important meals of the day. And um, I think you should be really getting as much good nutrition into your breakfast, as much fiber, protein, just good nutrition in um, at breakfast time, because it sets you up for the day. And, you know, and yes, you can have your healthy snacks throughout, you know, when you need them, when you kind of feel those um, sugar cravings coming on. But, you know, it's just really important to be very mindful of what you're putting into your body and understanding that the foods you're putting in are going to they're going to either work with you or go against you. So say, for example, you know, um, I had my bowl of porridge this morning. I'll always um, sprinkle flax seeds, um, seeds over it because flax seeds are omega-3, but they're also phytoestrogen. Now, they're not going to give me the same amount of estrogen as HRT at all. Not at all. And they work in different ways, but they're good for me and they're good for my body. So I know that everything I'm putting in is kind of is enhancing my health. So it's understanding what's working for you and what isn't. So I talk a lot about the nutrient, what I call the nutrient robbers, and that's your caffeine, that's your alcohol. It's also sugar, you know, it's, you know, which you, you, you'd know well, it's, you know, inflammatory. It's just, again, it's just not our friend. So I just think it's really being mindful of what you're eating um, at this, at this point. And obviously if you're working on weight as well, you know, then you've, you've got to be looking at it from the point of view of, you know, um, portion sizes and, you know, the late night snacking, things like that, the things that are going to go against you. Does your metabolism drop much then? I know your metabolism drops as small but as you get older, but when you're going through mm. perimenopause, does your metabolic rate drop down much? Well, it, it definitely it does change and it's it's changing and then it's also compounded by the fact the estrogen is dropping and estrogen is going to impact your metabolism. So you kind of you've got the two changing at the same time, which is basically, you know, which is what's going to change the fat distribution so we know um like through these years women will end up uh, storing more fat around their organs than um they would have done when they're younger so that's why you end up with more around your waistline 
you know, than than say before. Um, and, you know, and that's that's kind of the common weight distribution. But th there is another side of it, though. Now it's a smaller it's a minority of women, but there are those women who actually will go the other extreme and who actually will lose too much weight, you know, but that's again, that's not the, that's not the average, but it does happen. And the impact of that, Paul, is then sudden weight loss like that is not good for your bones because it means your bones don't have the same weight distribution that they would have had. Um, now it doesn't happen as many women, but it, it can happen. Yes, it's it's crazy. Like it's the different mm. changes, isn't it? Then with, yeah. with, with, with menopause, then what's what's the biggest spike in menopause? Because I remember I had, I had a client in New Zealand um, a couple of years ago on the gym floor and she was going through menopause and she was type 2 diabetes too and she, no HRT, she didn't do any, but she was just going through such a hard, hard time. And yeah, she, I'd say so. I think she was like 54 or 5 and she was going through menopause for like, five six seven years but you know she just did, couldn't get any help and she had no really information and stuff i guess what when you go to menopause what is the best way to have it flow as, as best as possible i th i think i would say knowing what's ahead is really important understanding what's happening in your body understanding the symptoms and then i think it's understanding what are your choices so you know, for some people that might be holistic uh, therapies, for other uh, women, it might be HRT, for other women, um, it might be, you know, adding some supplements either into either of those mix. But whatever you pick, you're going to always have to do the lifestyle. That's my thing. You're always going to have to do the exercise, the good food, the good habits, you know, keeping social. You're going to always have to do those. But I think knowing and being informed about the choices you have are really, really important. Um, and it just means you go into it more empowered. And when you go into it that way, it's going to change your mindset. You're not going to dread it. You're going to actually go into it a bit like, you know, grab the bull by the horns. You know, you know what's ahead of you. Um, so, right, you know, roll up your sleeves. Right, this is what I'm going to do. You know, a hot flush comes on. Well, OK, I have two routes to go. I can discuss HRT or, you know, maybe I can look at managing my stress. Maybe I can look at um, doing a little bit more around my food. Maybe I could look at a supplement, a maca or something, you know, so there's different. I think it's just understanding the knowledge is the main thing, Paul. Having the power um, of the knowledge is just so, so important. Sleep's a big one too. And that's and that's a oh, yeah. you, you yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's huge, huge, huge. What was your biggest take on sleep around menopause and stuff? Um, I think it's putting the time into the sleep ritual. I think it's it's understanding the importance of the downtime before you turn off that light in bed. Um, and, you know, I don't have any technology in the bedroom, but many, many women do. Um, I think it's understanding that as well. But I think the benefits you'll get from having, you know, a nice 60 minute downtime before you turn off that light, you know, that's really important. Yeah. And then it's just some of the basic sleep hygiene things, you know, that are there as well. Yeah. My mum, uh, she was a devil. Like um, when she went through her, she was always on the TV before we went to bed. And that's, that's a common yeah. thing is that yeah. it's, only, it's only something I've got better at the last six months is my sleep and I'm really trying to push it to my clients and anyone that's to try even meditation I think meditation is oh it's brilliant yeah it's yeah 
in yeah. your so I guess from your point of view, why would that be good for any female in general and mere menopause? I think I think meditation to me, if you can if you can incorporate one thing into your life, let it be meditation, because stress, brain fog, sleep, oh, the list is endless, but mainly stress, brain fog, sleep anxiety it benefits everything and even if it's just 10 minutes a day just 10 minutes it will really really help you um however you do it like i always say it could be listening to the calm app it could be sitting out in the garden sit staring at a tree whatever works for you but particularly women our brains are always firing we're always thinking about something and it's so important just to give our brains a rest it's really really important because it's all all meditation is just as you say is breathing it's just oxidate in your brain and it's just so exactly simple. yeah yeah a bit of energy to the brain you know <laughs> and again it's 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 only now that starting the people are starting to do it more because you know you look at 10 years ago it was nearly found upon it was hippie-ish but now people are starting yeah. to realize the benefits of yeah. it yeah 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 and is that is that really important to females of menopause um meditation yeah Big time, big time. I would definitely say if you to take if you to take on anything, it's it's meditation. It just it's a, so so simple. And you can be anywhere. And probably twin just what you said there. It's meditation and breathing. You know when you have a you know if you if you feel a little bit anxious, you could be on a mountaintop. You could be sitting in a work meeting. You could be on a bus. You always have your breathing to come back to. And I would always say, you know, look at the breathing and just make sure that you are coming back to it as much as you can. That's amazing. I guess before we go, then it'd be just good to, what would be your top three tips for any female going through perimenopause, menopause to get um, better? I would say really understand what's happening in your body. It's really important and understand the symptoms. Um, I would prepare yourself in terms of you know having good um habits so what you're eating how you're exercising how your mental health is staying connected with your friends um really really important and i would say lastly i would say it's uh, probably because i see it so much it's drinking more um drinking more water because i see it's such an issue that so many women don't drink enough That's and room amazing. temperature water, not, not freezing ice cold water. Our bodies don't really like that. So I prefer room temperature water. Some great tips. I suppose could uh, catch and work and people find you. Uh, Wellnesswarrior.ie is my website. Um, or you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. I kind of haven't Twitter. Haven't got, I don't really spend any time on Twitter too big for me. That's amazing. Don't really like it. Yeah. Nah. Perfect. That's amazing. Thanks for um, coming on. And yeah, that was a really good talk. Yeah, not at all. Thanks, Paul. Great stuff. <laughs>